Good morning, my name is Shelley McCarran, and I get to read the scripture today. It's titled, The Lord's Prayer, like this, um, and it's Luke 11, 1 through 13. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, don't bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. To the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his sons ask for fish, would instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, would give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So I, I thought back to when I was entering high school, I was sitting down with these two men who had been Christians for a long time, and, and they asked me a question. They said, uh, what is one area that you would like to grow as a Christian? And, and I didn't have to stop or think. I had the answer right at the, the, the tip of my tongue. I, I said, I would love to learn how to pray. I'd been around churches for a while, I'd seen people praying before, and so I tried to mimic them as best I could, but it just didn't really feel natural to me. I didn't really know how to do it, and so, to be honest with you, I didn't really do it. Continue having this conversation with them, uh, we talked for a little bit longer, then we got to the end, and, and one of them said, why don't you close us out in prayer? And it took every bit of self-control I had to not release my teenager sass and say, uh, did did you not just hear that I don't know how to do this? Maybe an area you would like to grow in is listening. <laughs> and it's still an area that I can grow in, praying, not releasing my sass. Well, actually, I could probably grow in both areas, but we'll just focus on praying today. I end up praying for a lot of things. Whenever a prayer request comes in, whether that's by filling out one of the Connect cards that we have in front of you or by me reaching out to people, people reaching out to me in the worship service, I end up praying quite a lot. But when you look at my personal prayer life, there, there's much room for growth to occur there. I think of the amount of time that I spent in praying, not just uh, overall throughout the week, but each time that I'm praying I set out with the best of intentions, and more often than not, my distract, I'm distracted by other things. My attention goes elsewhere after a few measly 
seconds. I think of the, the circumstance, or the, uh, prayer becoming instinctual, that so often when something occurs, I might go to advice or trying to find ways to help or, or giving encouragement, which are good things, but I often get around to praying rather than leading with it. Or even the circumstances in which I pray. When, when things are really difficult, I am at my most prayerfulness. But when things are going fine, it ends up being a little bit more sparse. And so the question that the, the disciples ask Jesus is, is one that I am so interested in learning in. Teach us how to pray. Can you teach us how to pray? Luke has been showing so much about the, uh, the prayer life of Jesus. Back in chapter 3, Jesus goes to, to be baptized, and it says that he does so while praying. In chapter 5, the people are looking for Jesus, eager for him to do more healings, and yet he is off on his own praying. Before he selects the 12 to be his disciples in chapter 6, Jesus first pauses and prays. In chapter 9, when Jesus is going up to the mount for his transfiguration, he first stops and prays. And this is something that will continue throughout the book of Luke. In the buildup to Jesus going to the cross, even while on the cross itself, Jesus spends his time praying. And there's been a progression as of late of him including people into prayer as well. When he is in chapter 9 going to uh, the transfiguration, how he prays before that, he also includes Peter and James and John in that time of prayer as well. Chapter 10, he sends out the 72 to go and do ministry, but first he tells him, pray for more workers. And now there's this question of how can we learn to pray as well? See, prayer is, is such a, an important topic throughout the book of Luke. It shows up more in this gospel than any of the other gospels, and it, and it makes so much sense because prayer is so important in our lives as well. The God of the universe invites us to communicate with him. The God who made all things, who knows all things, is, is so powerful, invites us to draw near to him. It, there's a part of this that's, that's so honoring, that we as, as creatures would be allowed to commune with God is incredible. There, there's, a, there's a part of this that's, that's so powerful because prayer is effective. God works through it. There's a, a part of it that uh, demonstrates our obedience to him. He calls us to turn to him in all things, and we do so in prayer. And there's a part of this as well that is, is done out of growing closer with God. Think of the relationships that we have and, and how shallow they would be if we didn't communicate, if we didn't have conversation, if we didn't know how things were going on, we didn't know much about them. How, how's your wife doing? Couldn't tell you. Uh, what, what are some of the things your friends like? You know, I, I just don't really know. Did Timmy fall down a well? You know, there's a chance. I just, I just can't be certain about it. Uh, our, our relationships have become so hollow. We, we are so ineffective in relationships without conversation. And prayer is us drawing closer to God because we are invited to bring our cares, our anxieties, our fears to God. And through prayer, we grow, we grow closer to him. But maybe this sounds a little bit overwhelming. 
that this God of the universe invites us to talk to him. Maybe we don't know where to start. We don't know what it is to say. Or, or maybe we've tried prayer before, but we didn't get an answer, it seems. And so we just kind of gave it up as a waste of time. Or, or perhaps some of you in here are exceptional at prayer. You would say it's an area that you're gifted in. Whatever our background, our interaction with prayer is, there is still room for us to grow in understanding in obedience, of drawing close to God in this way. And so we want to look at this instruction of how to pray from Luke chapter 11 that Jesus gives that shows us how we can pray. Now, I want to give just a couple quick notes uh, before we jump into the text itself. We may be more familiar with Matthew's account of the Lord's Prayer. It's a little bit longer, and some people will point to this and like, look, there's differences here. There's obviously errors in the Bible. And Truthfully, we see Jesus teach the same thing in different locations to different audiences, and so they end up being slightly different there. Uh, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew takes place at Sermon on the Mount. This is a private discussion with the disciples. It, it's, it's not an error that there's slight differences here with a different setting of how this teaching is done. But the second note that I want to give is that the Lord's Prayer is, is, is an excellent prayer that teaches us so much of how we are to pray, but it isn't a, a formula. It isn't a magical equation that if we get all these words right, that if we follow the structure perfectly, then and only then will God listen to us. That's not what Jesus is teaching here. He's showing us what our prayer, uh, our prayer life ought to look like. There are times that we will pray and it will be full of the praise of God that we never move on to anything else in that particular prayer, and that's okay. Our prayer life as a whole ought to be shaped by this. On the flip side, though, if we never get to the other parts of prayer, like, say, for instance, all we do is ever bring our requests to God, well, we're missing so much on the beauty and purpose of what prayer is. And so following off of that, let's learn from Jesus about how we are to pray. Luke 11, and I will pick it up in verse 2. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Jesus says you start your prayer by saying, Father. This is uh, an invitation to come before this God. There's this beautiful intimacy and respect that comes with this name that he has made himself known. He has made himself approachable. The God who made mountains and molecules, who has been from eternity and will never, will never fade away. The God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, he has invited us to draw near to him and call him Father, to bring our prayers to him. It is so beautiful. There's so much intimacy here, and yet it's, it's full of respect. It's an acknowledgement of who he is. And what's, what's fascinating is at this time, Israel was surrounded by paganism. Even the Roman religion was, was full of a pantheon of gods, and, and to bring your request to the gods at the time meant you had to call upon their name. You had to uh, call upon all their deeds that they had done. You had to demonstrate to why you were worthy of them listening to you, and then you went to the next God and the next God, and you had to do all of this just to try to get the attention of the gods. And yet in this prayer, there's no hoops to jump through. There's no trying to prove why you are worthy of God listening to you. Instead, it's the reverse. God has drawn near. 
All we have to do is turn to him. And also in, in this use of the title Father, there's this understanding of obedience that as we are turning to him in prayer, that by who he is, by him being father to us, we follow him, we obey him, we listen to what he says for us to do. I thought for sure one of the dads in here would have given me an amen on that one, but we'll move on. Father, hallowed be your name. Now, this word hallowed is, is a word that we often use in just one context, and that's when we're talking about the Lord's Prayer. It, it isn't a word that often shows up in conversation. It means to sanctify, to make holy, to, to set apart. And so as we're praying to God who has made himself near, we are acknowledging who he is, his uniqueness, his otherworldliness, and yet he is drawn close to us. And we acknowledge who it is that he says he is. Uh, we might trick ourselves at this part. Hallowed be your name. We might uh, think that we are the ones who are hallowing his name. That as we are praying to him, we are setting him apart. We are, are the ones who are, are making him different. We are, are the ones who are honoring him. But that's not what's going on here. God is this way. We are merely acknowledging it. Uh, you don't have to turn there but because uh, we're not done in Luke 11, but I'm going to read for us Ezekiel 36, verses 22 to 23. So this is uh, in response to Israel constantly turning away from God, and yet God will continue to work through them. Uh, this is what it says, Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 22. It says, Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake... O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate my, the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. God himself is the one who hollows his name. God himself is the one who vindicates his holiness, his, his reputation, what he is known as. He is hollowed. All we are doing when we come to prayer is acknowledging who he is. We are responding to him. We are praising him. We are worshiping him. We come before him humbly in awe of who he is, noting his uniqueness, his holiness, his perfection. Prayer continues, your kingdom come. We pray for God's rule in all things. That where we might try to take control of things, the kingdoms that we set up for ourselves, they crumble and fail. And yet God is worthy. God is able. God is good and powerful to rule. And while he is ruling now, we eagerly await the day when his full kingdom comes, his full rule comes in, when all wounds have been made well, when all pains have been righted, while all brokenness is restored, we are eagerly expecting and excited for the day his kingdom comes fully. And so we eagerly pray for that to speedily occur. Continues, give us our daily bread. So it is after turning to this God, acknowledging that he has come near to us. It is after we acknowledge who he is, how powerful, holy, good, just, righteous he is. It is after we, we recognize that he is alone is in control of all things, that we turn to him 
with all things. We seek his provision. We seek his help. We seek his gifts that come from him to meet our needs. Even the most basic of needs. Give us our daily bread. I end up kind of falling into a rut at the end of service, and I, and I uh, say the same phrase just about every time. Find someone to pray with you. There's nothing too big or too small for, uh, uh, for prayer. And, and this is what it's talking about. Prayer for daily bread, our most basic of needs. You can come forward and ask for, for God to provide lunch. We, we can go to God for something as, as overlooked as that. And yet we can also turn to him for the biggest aspects of our lives for all that we hunger for, literally or otherwise. We turn to God for provision, for his help in our prayers. Forgive us our sins. We have been fully forgiven in Christ. His death on the cross forgives us of our sins, and yet we still err. We still fall short of God's perfection. We still fall short of the life that that God has called us to. And so we continue to turn to him to seek forgiveness for all in our lives. But it doesn't stop there, does it? It says, forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. We ask for forgiveness of our sins while we are forgiving others. And this may sound petty. This may sound like an ultimatum, like, God, oh, I'm not going to forgive you unless if you go forgive that person. But that's not what's going on here. Yes, it's unfair of us to ask something of God that we are unwilling to do, but we cannot receive God's forgiveness if we are disobeying what he's called us to do, what he calls us to forgive. But more than that, we cannot receive from God if our hands are clenched in anger and hatred. It's only in releasing that that we can truly experience the forgiveness that God has. And it's in seeing God's graciousness and love towards us that drives us to want to forgive others. And then it ends with lead, uh, well, one, one more note on that. So the, the heart behind the prayer is forgive us as we forgive others is, is a prayer for God to form us that we still fall short of a standard of perfection. We still go in ways that that are harmful to us, that are away from him. And so it is a prayer to form us, to shape us to be more like him, to to, uh, have us live a life that better reflects him. This could easily say, uh, help me to love others as you love me. Help me to show justice as you bring justice to this world. Help me to forgive as you have forgiven me. This part of the prayer is asking for God to form us to be more like him. Now we can get to the last one. It says, lead us not into temptation. Now this one is really easy to misunderstand. Maybe we could recall our series in James that we were in earlier this year. We got to James chapter 1. It says, God is not tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. And so why is there this prayer then? Well, the wording of it is, is, is what's important here. It says, lead us not into temptation. It says, God, don't tempt us, because that would be a useless prayer. God doesn't do that. It says, lead us not into temptation. That there are a variety of circumstances in our lives. There are pains and difficulties that we go through that are the breeding grounds of temptation. That when we are going through hardships, that we are more easily tempted in those times. I am not tempted to steal if my needs are being met. I'm not tempted to attack other people if there's no conflict with that person. 
And yet there are circumstances in our life that more easily uh, produce temptation to go away from God. And so this is saying, God, uh, please, if possible, help me to avoid this difficulty that might produce temptation. And we, we see Jesus do this as well, don't we? He's in the garden. He's about to go to the cross, and he says, Father, if possible, take this cup from me. Help me to avoid this situation. Now, Jesus is not going to give in to temptation there. He's not going to deviate from what God's will is, but he models to us this type of prayer, that there is difficulty ahead, and this difficulty might cause me to turn over away from God. And so in these times, in these moments of our lives, we pray that God, if possible, to spare us from these hardships that might produce temptation. And so we have this prayer that's given to us. We approach the Father. We acknowledge who He is. We see His rule, and we are eager for it to fully come. We turn to Him for all things. We seek forgiveness. We seek to become more like Him. We ask for His intervention in our lives. But we may still struggle with prayer. Maybe the reason why we aren't praying isn't because we don't have the mechanics of it, that we don't have the wording of it. Maybe instead we are missing the motivation, the reason to be praying. And this is why I'm so grateful that the Lord's Prayer is not just these four, uh, the, the Jesus teaching on prayer is not just these first four verses, but it continues on all the way to verse 13, showing us the importance, the position, the means, and motivation of prayer. Why do we do this? Well, I'm going to skip over verses 5 through 8. We'll, we'll come back to them in just a second, but let's, let's go to Luke 11, 9 to start with. Why do we pray? Well, this is what Jesus says in verse 9. He says, I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be open. So why do we pray? Why do we turn to God in the way that Jesus tells us to here? Why, why do we do any of this? Why do we ask? Why do we seek? Why, why do we knock? Well, it is because of the certainty of God's response, the certainty that God listens, the certainty that God acts. And it's not just that he will respond, but we also see the nature of his response as we continue on. This is verse 11. It says, What father among you if his son asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. Uh, or, uh, sorry, I skipped a bit. Uh, if his son asks for a fish, we'll instead of a fish, give him a serpent. And if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So not only do we hear that, that God responds, but, but that he responds so beautifully and so loving and so kind, that, that even the most evil father, uh, examples of fatherhood that we can come of uh, at least meet this baseline of, of decency, or, or even if they don't, we can acknowledge that they, this is a, is a misuse of fatherhood, that, that this baseline, that when asked for an, an egg does not give a scorpion, we, we can at least acknowledge that, that yeah, father's not going to do that. And if that's how a sinful, broken, earthly father is going to act, how much more will the good father 
respond? How much more will the God who's all-loving, all-patient, who's generous and kind, the God who loves his people, how much more will he give good gifts to his children who ask? And the response of that, the reason why we pray is because we know God responds to prayer. We know God works through prayer. And the response of that is that we pray boldly. Now we can back up to to verse 5. And Jesus tells this parable to further teach us on prayer. And he said to them, he said, Which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give to him whatever he needs. So in this parable, there's there's a, a traveler who arrives at midnight at his friend's house. Common enough at the time, travel during the day in the Middle East, not generally a good time. And so a travel would occur at night, and this friend arrives at midnight. But the host here doesn't have any food to put before him. This is a problem. Actually, it's a disaster. And and it might not hit us uh, just from our time, our cultural difference from what was going on in uh, this, this society, this culture at the time. For one, uh, someone arrives late at night. Uh, we have lots of options to go and get them food. There's stores that are open late. We have means of travel to get us there, uh, problem solved there. Or shelf life of food is much better than it was at this time. We, we have more food at hand to offer people even if they come unannounced. At this time, it really was daily bread is what you needed. That's why it was in the prayer. Give us our daily bread. Each day, it had to be fresh. And without having anything, he has nothing to offer his friend. And again, I I don't think this is quite hitting us because uh, in this culture, and in a lot of Eastern cultures still to this day, hospitality is everything. That that, uh, when a guest comes, you show them kindness and, and ample amounts of food and and respect and decency to them for just the fact that they are a guest there. And a failure to do this, a failure to show hospitality in this way, not only meant you were bringing uh, dishonor or shame upon yourself, but it's a group mentality as well. You're dishonoring your town, your group. And so uh, this, this man goes to his friend for help, not just to save face for himself, but to preserve the integrity of the group so that word doesn't get out. You know that place? They don't take care of guests. They don't take care of travelers. That is a cursed place. And so he's trying to preserve the integrity of the group. And so he goes to his neighbor to ask for help, to ask for food so he can show hospitality to this guest who's come. And the response from the inside is, go away. Don't bother me. It's late. The kids are now asleep. Go, come back some other time. And again, that, that can sound reasonable to us, right, in, in our society. Uh, but I don't think that we're still getting the gravity of this situation. Uh, so let me, let me try to, to contextualize it. So uh, imagine that you are at your home asleep, and you hear pounding on your door. 
And not just pounding on the door, but your doorbell is being rang constantly too. For those of you who are parents, it took you forever to get your kids to fall asleep this night. And so you need them to stop. You don't want them to wake up again. So you rush to your door and you open it up just to get them to stop and you see your neighbor there. He says, my wife is going in labor and the car won't start. We, we tried to get an Uber, but the, they accepted the fare, and they, they haven't moved in 20 minutes. We have to get to the hospital. You need to take us. I mean, this is, this is a, a desperate man in front of you who, who needs help, and it's incredibly inconvenient. You're asleep. This isn't your problem but what other solution is there but to help this person? I mean, think of what the other neighbors will say if they hear, you didn't help this pregnant woman? Think, think of what you'll, you will say about yourself after a few more hours of sleep. Why, why didn't I help them? This is inconvenient. You don't want to be doing it, but what other response is there than to help this person who is so desperate who, that they have come to your door pounding on it in the middle of the night to get some sort of help. And, and that's the point that I think Jesus is making here. Because look again at verse 8. He says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because of his friends, it's not, it's not friendship that makes him help him. Instead, it's because of his impudence that he gets up and gives him whatever his need is. It's, it's uh, the nerve of him to ask. It's the weight of the situation. It's not just that he might look bad to a friend. It's that the town looks bad. There, there's so much weight. There's so much at stake here. It's because of all of that that he will get up and help him. And the point being, if this is how we respond, if we'll help the pregnant woman in the middle of the night, if he will help this man to show hospitality in the middle of the night, how much more does a good God respond to our request? How much more do, does God show care and kindness to us when we turn to him? How much more does, does he show love and generosity? And again, it's not to save face. It's not so he looks good towards others. But on the sake of his name, which is hallowed already, he will respond because he is good, because he is generous, because he is just, he responds to his people's prayers and requests and needs. But we have to address the obvious. What about those times that we do ask and we do not receive? I mean, so much of this passage is ask, turn to God. God gives generously. Uh, those who ask, receive. What about when we do ask and we do not receive? And, and it's such a massive point that I have nowhere near enough time to do justice to, but I, I'm going to try to honor the question because it's a genuine question. The easy answer that, that we often throw out, is, it is true, but, but it doesn't always sound like it relieves our attention. The easy answer is oftentimes we pray for things that fall outside of God's will. Sometimes we could pray for things that are entirely selfish or, or harmful. God, smite my enemies for me. But other times we, we might pray for something. We might pray for an outcome, and yet God is doing something more beyond what we realize. 
I mean, think of the spot that we try to put God in when two Christian high school athletes play against each other. Which prayer for victory does he respond to? And yet, what we might miss in that time is that God is doing something more important than, than a win. It certainly doesn't feel like it in that moment, but God is working more inside of that than the result of what occurs. But what about those desires that we have, which feels like it's a genuine request, that it's not just out of selfish gain, it's not just to make our lives good at all times, not to make things easy on us, but it is something that is a genuine good desire that we have, that we've been praying for faithfully, and yet it still has not been resolved in the way that we ask for. God, I, I want this person to follow you, to know you. God, if you, if you work in this way, people will come to follow you more. God, this, wouldn't it be better for this person to be healed that that story is so much more significant? Father, this disaster occurred, and, and there's this family that you've given me, and I can't take care of them right now. Why won't you respond? Father, there is little in this life that I would not give up to be called that title as well. These are heartbreaking times, these requests that we have, and these are good things. We're told that these are good things. What about when we are asking and we are not hearing? Well, we might read this passage and we might import a reading on it that's not there. Those who ask receive. Then there must be something wrong with my ask. Maybe I'm not trusting hard enough. Maybe I did something wrong, and so God's not responding to me until I, I deal with that thing. But that's not what the text says. That's not what is occurring here. Certainly, we can approach prayer in a wrong way. We can treat God like his role is just to grant our wishes. We can treat God like he is just there to make my life as easy as possible. That's why I'm following him, because of what he adds to my life. We can certainly approach prayer wrong. There are times that I think that we have these good desires, these genuine good desires, and we are desperate for a response. We are wishing that God would act in the midst of this. And in these times, it, it may feel like, like we're saying that these desires aren't, aren't uh, good at all or that us not hearing, well, it doesn't matter. Well, it must be outside of God's will. Like, it, it, I don't want to minimize the pain that we feel when we are not receiving an answer to these prayers or an answer that we expect to these prayers. Don't you dare hear me minimizing it. But as we pray in this way that Jesus has given us, as we turn to God in how the Lord's prayer is set for us, as we acknowledge who he is, as we see that God has made himself approachable, as we see that he alone is worthy of rule and reign over all things, that as we pray to him in this way, we grow in closest to him, we are formed by him, we are shaped by him, and even our very desires are shaped that while we feel pain and hurt, that, that desires, good things are not being met in our lives, we are seeing that our desires are being formed to desire what he wants, to look for what he has called us to, to see that our greatest need has been satisfied in him.
that in these pains it may feel like God is not responding to us. But what we are told is the promise here that while we are asking for a fish, it may feel like we are being given a serpent, but that is not what is happening. The loving, generous, gracious God is responding to us, whether we recognize it or not, whether it's the response that we want or not. He has certainly responded in prayer. And we see that he has given us the greatest gift of all, that the greatest response has been given. The gift that's promised is more than we ever could have possibly asked, that he has given us himself. Which of you fathers among you wouldn't act in this way? How much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That while we have these genuine hurts and desires, God has met us with what we need more than anything else. He has given us himself. He has given us his spirit, which shapes us and forms us. He has addressed our spiritual needs. He has brought him, uh, himself close to us. He has made himself known. The God of the universe has made himself approachable. And while we are waiting on responses, while we pray eagerly for decades even to hear from him, wondering when will God respond, we see that he is like this neighbor here, that he will rise and give his people whatever they need. Jesus has been modeling the importance of prayer. God has given us access to him. Through prayer, we grow closer to him. It forms us. It shapes us. And while we have stories of prayers that have not been responded to in the way that we thought, there are even more stories of God working through prayer. This church exists because of prayer. I had people praying for me to come to Jesus. And while we are still waiting for others to have that prayer come true, we see prayer works constantly, that God works through it, that it is effective, that we grow close to him and we are shaped by him. So it felt like it would be a wasted opportunity to not take this time that we've been learning how to pray, why to pray, what does God do through prayer. It felt like it was the most obvious thing to do for us to spend time praying together. I'm going to invite the, the worship team to, to come back up, but I, I want to set up what this will look like. We, we said the Lord's Prayer is not a structure that we have to follow every single time we pray. I'm going to break that right now. I, I think it could be a, a nice structure for us to be praying through this together. There's also the reminder in the Lord's Prayer that, that not every time we pray is to be done alone, that, that it is something that while we grow closer to God in it, we also grow closer to other Christians through prayer. I mean, look no further than the pronouns that are used in this section. Lord, teach us to pray. He said to them, uh, give us each day. Forgive us our sins. We ourselves forgive uh, those who are indebted to us. Lead us not into temptation. And so I want to use this time to lead us in prayer. I want to take us through each part of this prayer that Jesus gives to us, and, and I want to set it up for us to give us prompts, ideas of what we could be praying for there, and to give us uh, thoughts of, of how this part of prayer can come out in our lives. And then I'll move on to the next section and the next section, and then finally at the end, I, I will close this in prayer. So we'll go part by part in the Lord's Prayer. I'll set us up with some prompts. You can pray where you are. And then I will move us on to the next one. So get comfortable. 
whether it's helpful to close your eyes or keep them open, to fold your hands or to have them open as you're acknowledging that this is to God. Whatever it is, invite you to take a posture that you can pray as we do this prayer together. When you pray, say, Father. As we start here, what does it mean that God is a Father? We might have good or poor pictures of fathers in our own life, but how is he the good and perfect father? Respond to him as that. As we start this prayer, pray, praise, worship God, reflecting on the language of him as father. Take some time to do that, and I'll bring us back together for the next section soon. come to mind about God's uniqueness, his holiness, his power, his glory, his love, his wisdom, his authority, his compassion. But what comes to your mind about who God is? Spend a moment to praise him, to acknowledge him for who he uniquely is. if we as humans have fallen short of that? Where does our kingdom fall short? And how is his reign and rule beautiful? Respond to that.
Where do you hope that God might work in your life? What are your greatest or even your most basic needs? Where are you turning to God, asking for his intervention, knowing he may not always respond in the way that we hope, but he does respond. He does care. He does call us to cast all our anxieties, our concerns, our worries on him. Take this time to bring to God your requests. Forgive us our sins. Where do we continue to fall short of God's perfect standards? What do we need to confess? ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us who do you need to forgive who have you withheld forgiveness of who has made your hand clenched so that you might be less receptive to receive God's forgiveness for you difficulty do you see coming on the horizon? What hardship might be ahead of you? Or what might you be in the midst of now? Ask God, if possible, to spare you from that, but pray as well for courage and strength if that difficulty does come. Pray for, the in, uh, for reminders in the hardship that God has not left you alone.
that you have given prayer to us, that through it, we see that you have made yourself approachable, that God of the universe calls for us to turn and come to you, that through it, we grow closer to you, through it, we demonstrate our obedience and dependence on you, and through it, we see your power as prayer is effective, that you work through it. We are so grateful of the certainty of your response to prayer. It may not always be the response that we hope for or are looking for, but you are listening, you are caring, you are active, you are loving. Help us to be shaped and molded by you to see how generous you are, to see how powerful 